you see what resonates, what seems like, oh yes, in your mind. Meditating is watching and acknowledging in a relaxed way whatever happens, whether <laughs> pleasant or unpleasant. Meditating is waiting and watching with awareness and understanding, not thinking, not reflecting, not judging. Just pay attention to the present moment. Don't go back to the past. Don't plan for the future. When meditating, both the mind and the body should be comfortable. The meditating mind should be relaxed and at peace. You cannot practice when the mind is tense. Don't focus too hard. Don't control. Don't force yourself. Don't restrict yourself. Don't try to create anything and don't reject what's happening. However, as things happen or stop happening, be aware of them. Trying to create something is greed. Rejecting what's happening is aversion. Not knowing if something is happening or has stopped happening is delusion. Only when the observing mind has no greed, aversion, or worry, anxiety will the meditating mind arise. Don't have any expectations. Don't want anything. Don't be anxious, because if these attitudes are in your mind, it becomes difficult to meditate. You're not trying to make things turn out the way you want them to happen. You're trying to know what's happening. You need to accept and watch both the good and the bad experiences. You need to double-check to see what attitude you're meditating with. A light and free mind enables you to meditate well. Do you have the right attitude? Don't feel disturbed by the thinking mind. You're not practicing to prevent thinking, but rather to recognize and acknowledge thinking whenever it arises. When you want only good experiences, you don't want even the tiniest unpleasant experience. Is that reasonable? That's not the way to practice Dharma. Why do you focus so hard when you meditate? Do you want something? Do you want something to happen? Do you want something to stop happening? Don't practice with a mind that wants something or wants something to happen. The result will only be that you'll tire yourself out. The mind and body are getting tired. Something is wrong with the way you're practicing, and it's time to check the way you're meditating. What's the mind doing, thinking or being aware? Where is the mind now, inside of oneself or outside? Is the watching, observing mind properly aware or only superficially aware? Don't reject the object being known. You are to know and thus note the defilements that arise, difficulties, hindrances that arise, <coughs> because of the object and thus remove those defilements. Something arises, maybe there's um, a pleasant smell in the room, like someone's going by with a tray of donuts uh, on their way from the dining room to the front office, and you're sitting there and a smell comes in, <coughs> present smell. What arises in the mind? 
What arises in the mind? Pleasant smell happens. Lust arises in the mind. Where are they going? It smells like Dunkin' Donuts. One of our family stories, actually, maybe tell you the story in the middle of reading Utejaniya, which is very lovely. But uh, this is a story that we tell about my 55-year-old son, and it happened on a peace march down uh, Market Street 52 years ago or something. But a piece of family lore, the telling about the peace marches in those days, there were vast numbers of people who got together and walked peacefully down Market Street. And uh, we had all of our children with us, so two of them were walking on feet, and one of them was riding on shoulders. And uh, one of them, Peter, I think, was sitting in a, in, a, in a stroller and pushing him along. And so we were packed in, and he certainly, from the middle of the crowd surging forward, could not have seen Market Street. He was a small, very small child and riding in a stroller. But I remember here's all these people enchanting wonderful slogans and being all inspired with, you know, hopeful for making the point for peace. And we went by um, a recognizable smell from one of the uh, from one of the food vendors along the road. And people saying things, and he was a very late-talking child, didn't say very much. But all of a sudden he said in a loud voice, I smell Kentucky Fry. And in the middle of this whole thing, you know, it's got a certain smell, Kentucky Fry. And I smell Kentucky Fry is, you know, the preview to, I'd like some Kentucky Fry. You know? And it just seems so sweet. In the middle of, we all have this very high purpose and we're, you know, there we go, peace now, peace now. I smell Kentucky Fry. And, I, I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm glad I told it because it's one of those things that in the middle of the noblest of situations, here comes I smell Kentucky Fry. Was that a Dunkin' Donuts smell that just went by? Maybe they're having a staff meeting in the back room. Maybe they have donuts. Maybe I could just go back and check out and see a donut. So that means, what is it, uh, that the... the you notice the defilements that arise. You know, defilement is such a funny word when you think about it. Because, you know, if you walk into the, a dining room and someone has prepared a lovely meal that they're about to offer you and uh, a proper um, appetite arises and you salivate that, I don't know that that's a defilement. I think it becomes a defilement uh, when it so takes over the mind that, uh, oh, I don't know, that you're so preoccupied with that that you lose the conversation of the person that you're talking to, or you start eating before the uh, hostess invites you to the table. Or uh, I think always when I think about sense desires, I think of the, um, um, the possible... Um, uh, Attachment to sense desires would be a rather a way I'd like to say, because food smells good. We certainly hope people will offer it to us and eat it, and it's a healthy thing to have that kind of health sense desire. But the the at the time that any kind of a uh, um, desire arises in the mind in a way that it precludes clear seeing and judgment and appropriate action, then it becomes you know, the cause of 
uh, an action that's unwholesome. We were talking about that a little bit, I think, last week in talking about uh, really uh, organizing one's life around the precepts that... Um, was I talking to you about it or did I talk to somebody else during this week? Does that sound familiar to you? Were we talking about that last week? No, Amara says. Okay, well, let me finish reading to you what Utejaniya says. Is this nice? Would you like such a paper? Okay, I'll we'll right away work that out. Um, here, I'll skip to the very end. No, this is the important, really important part. The object of attention is not important. The observing mind that's working in the background to be aware is more important. So do you see the difference between that? Here is... Um, the object of attention is not important. A Dunkin' Donuts, Kentucky Fry, pleasant smell. What's really important is the mind that's rocking that, the mind that uh, is filtering that attention, the mind that, uh, into which that, that experience arises, which one hopes will be expansive enough to say, hmm, that's a good smell. That's one of those things I like. And now might or might not be a good time to have that. So let's think about it. That uh, what's important is the condition of the mind into which the experience arises. If the observing is done with the right attitude, the object will be the right object. Only when there is faith will effort arise. Only when there is effort will mindfulness be continuous. Only when mindfulness is continuous Will concentration become established? Only when concentration is established will you know things as they really are. And when you start to know things as they really are, faith will grow stronger. You know why that particular last paragraph here is tremendously important? We're going to look in a minute at uh, our... Um, Metta Sutta. We've been for two weeks uh, working with the Metta Sutta, just as an uh, as a, as an exercise, as looking at every single line, because uh, the message of the whole thing is: under all circumstances, cultivate a heart that remains um, impartially kind. That's the and it reads on first read: just do it. Don, did you have a message? That you I do came? have a message for you. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt. Quite all right.
when we look at the Metta Sutta a minute, in a minute, we've been looking at it for three, this is our third week. So today, every week we say, okay, we're going to really do it, and we get another two sentences done, because any one sentence, any one sentence you could dwell on for a, you know. But today, just as a, just, not that we won't come back again, because we could do it forever. I'm really convinced if that were my only piece of uh, liturgy, and I, st- and, I, and I really organized my whole day and life around it. That's the only piece of liturgy I'd need. It says it all. Don't you think? I really think the first part of it is sila, is ethics. The middle part is the samadhi part, mind training. And the end is uh, panya, is wisdom. But it's nice to go through it and through it and through it. And it's not that we're improving on it or rewriting a new one. But, you know, it's been translated from the Pali so many times. And sometimes there's a, there are ways, we're not saying what is a better word to put there, but what word in that position making that point speaks to us more. But when we come to the last um, part of it, and you come around to uh, uh, wisdom arising, I think this last paragraph here, which said the middle part of it, of the sutta, which, apply, which pertains to wise choice, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration, leading then to uh, firm faith, which leads then to steadiness of mind, which leads things to, leads faith to be so present that the mind to be so open that clarity and wisdom arises. I like to think that. So I'd like to have two things. Joe, dear, could you ask us, well, there, Anne will do it. And can we have 50 copies of this? Of this, yeah. And it's a two-sided thing. Thank you very much. Okay, so now it's always like when the second grade, when you say, take out the homework. Take out your copy <laughs> of the Metta Sutta. Who's got it? On the, Who needs a Metta Sutta? Does not have it on there. Uh, all right, <coughs> we'll get it. But we're going to start. Let me see if I have one for you. Do you, would you like to have one? Do you need it to refer to? Uh, I will if I need it. I'll look over. This is what should be done. For, so we've gotten about eight lines into it now. This is what should be done. Those people, and Okay. And can you get us some more metta suttas? We keep running. Yeah, I'm arranging it. Okay, thanks. Be a little bit. It's okay. So we're going to skip right ahead, but we, but we did change to this is what will be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know the path of peace. They will be capable. Wait a minute. They will be, uh, they will be upright. Yeah, we talked about upright meaning capable. Didn't necessarily mean upright. It, we could be capable lying down. They would be capable. Uh, we really, remember we talked about that a lot because uh, upright means, uh, however you think about it, you can also think about it as righteous. Upright often means that, dignified or... Uh, but, yeah... Did we chant it to upstanding? Well, we had both of 
But then we had again the standing business, and for people who can't stand, so because you could be an upright person in a wheelchair or lying down. Honorable. That was a good change. Well, listen, you keep track of all the changes, so we'll just we'll just move along. Uh, all right. How to do this? What the, what was the last line that we did? Okay, I want to make sure to do this one line for Susan Felix. Okay, here's going to be what we're going to do next. Instead of pl plunging ahead one line after the other, those of you who have the sutta and I, we, will read it out loud. When you hear this, you think to yourself, this was the homework, what line do you want to expound and then we'll, we won't necessarily do it chronologically. We'll do it what line is the one that speaks to you and what do you want it to say. Okay, here we go. Humble and not conceited. Go with it. Contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and brutal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease, whatever living beings there may be. Weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, those seen and unseen, those living near and far away, may and to be born, May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any way. Anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Just as a mother would protect with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should we cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, free from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires is not born again into this world. I love that. So think a minute and think, here's, here, here's how I'd like to do it because this will have more energy in it. What one sentence would you like to expound? It could be your favorite sentence. It could be the one that you think I'd like to change this word. Okay. One minute thinking time. Ready, set, go. <laughs> you also pick up. <laughs> oh, <okay.
be interesting if everybody has different ones. I want to read one that came in the mail from Susan Felix, who said, I'm not going to be able to be there, but I really want to talk about by not holding to fixed views. Who had their hands up for that one? Okay. So think another one. Here's Su or comment on Susan's. Susan sent a tiny story. I was traveling from San Francisco to Atlanta, Georgia. I always have a, a sense of curiosity about who will sit next to me and if we're about if we'll have something to talk about. I immediately went into stereotype mode when an overweight man smelling of alcohol sat down next to me. When instructions went on the screen in English with Spanish under it, he was very disgruntled. Soon the Spanish will be above the English, he told me. I have a construction crew that builds generators. I have men who don't understand English. Do they get the job done, I asked. He replied, they're very good workers. I said to myself, I rest my case. I figured there would not be much of a conversation here. And I picked up my book to read. I was reading poetry written by a good friend. His photo was on the back of the book. My fellow traveler asked, is that a mugshot? I replied, he's a very highly esteemed black poet. To my great surprise, he answered, my favorite poet is Charles Bukowski. I love his dead goldfish poem. I immediately Googled the poem and many other poems. He talked about how his mom was so like the poet's mom. We talked about other poems that he liked. The trip went quickly. At the end, he told me how much he enjoyed talking to me. He told me, when I first saw you, ma'am, I thought I'd sleep through the whole flight. At the end of my flight, he asked if he could help me with my bag. He told me what a pleasure it was talking about poetry. The feeling was totally mutual and an unexpected pleasure resulting from not holding to fixed views. May all people be happy, may all people be well, may all people be safe. Stay amazed, Susan. So that's, isn't that good? Sadhu, sadhu. You never know. You never know. Okay. So now, now Susan's story is told. Pick, who had the Susan line? Andrew, what were you going to say? I, I, I guess what it's saying to me is that if you do all this, you're, you're done. So you're not coming back, you're... You know, you're not you're not reincarnated anymore. That's what I read. I, maybe I'm reading it wrong, but there was a sadness to that because I kind of like it here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's if, if I read it wrong, I, I apologize. Are you looking to? Are you looking at the last the whole, line? The whole line. Oh, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. It's not born again. It's not born again into this world. Yeah. That's a whole important discussion of whether, uh, leaving aside that there's different views about whether we are actually reborn <coughs> in corporeal form into this world, or whether we are reborn every moment when we get up and uh, every minute that we get up in the morning uh, in a different mind state, if we aren't, uh, if we get up in a difficult mind state in the morning, if we aren't reborn into suffering every morning when we wake up. So, But it's an interesting thing to think about because in the context of the Buddha's uh, life and writing, uh, continued life was really, is really portrayed or seems to be portrayed as uh, a desirable thing to get out of. On the other hand, I think about things like the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 woes, and I don't think it's a particularly pessimistic 
What do you think about it? You ever thought about that? What specifically? Well, because people think, well, if the point of practice is to not be reborn again, to be so freed of uh, fetters that you are not born again. Uh, I got my hands full with this life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't even gotten to that question. Okay, all right, so we'll leave it then. It's a big question. <laughs> Nobody has ever gotten there. Who else, to have, who else wanted to say something about that line? Who else wanted to say? Or another line. There you go. Well, when I read that, by not holding fixed views, that gets rid of judgment, and it, it doesn't, you don't replace There you go. Oh, when you don't hold on to fixed views, it, get, it gets rid of judgment, it gets rid of remembering the past, or trying to predict the future. You just are in the moment. Yeah. Or being so sure you're right. It's a, actually was that was that you, Roberto, who said being so sure you're right. It's a relief to all of a sudden have a uh, have a, the feeling maybe maybe I'm not right because as long as you have to defend the right, you have to be thinking up more defenses for it. I had a friend once who's not living anymore, who. Uh, said uh, anybody who is in a teaching position, you know, uh, clergy, uh, school teachers, anyone who's in a teaching position, and because we tend to expound and say it's this and this and this, he said, this is, the, this is the mantra that you should say every day for 10 minutes a day at least. Magic mantra. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah? I could be wrong. Yeah? And especially when you hear, I, I try it sometimes when I'm listening to political debate and the other side is so, in my mind, wrong. And I think to myself, it's so painful to think that. I think to myself, well, you know, maybe they've got a point. No, no, no. They don't. But it's hard, to, it's hard to let the mind make room for that. But it's a relief for the mind to make room for it. You know, that, um, yeah. Sylvia, I, I um, am still arm wrestling with this whole idea of loving without expectations. And I'm wondering, the second to the last line, being freed from all sense desires, do you think that that's in the same neighborhood there? Well, you know what? I actually read that last line a little differently. Uh, I think that I think it doesn't mean that sense desires go away. As long as you're alive, you have sense desires. I think what it actually means is freed from the imperative of sense desires. You have a choice about what to do with the sense desires. If you have a live, healthy body, it wants to move, it wants to eat, it, it wants to do lots of things which are, in many cases, appropriate things to do. Free from addictions. Free from addictions, though. Free from addictions. Free from addiction, not, not attached to. Uh, and I even think about the addictions uh, in terms of... Um, I went out to dinner with two of my young adult 
grandchildren this week, and I realized that their cell phone is attached to the hand. You know, they, it's, like a, it's like glued to the hand. And if they put it down, they, it's on the chair next to them in the restaurant, and they're checking it all the time. And aside from the fact that it's bad manners, uh, it also means that they're not paying full attention here. And, you know, I'm my grandmother, so I give them a lot of slack. But still, I, I don't like it. So sometimes I say something and sometimes I don't. Like, let's put that cell phone into the purse. We're going to be eating for 20 minutes. You could take it 20 minutes. You go to sleep at night. You don't watch the cell phone all night long in case you got a text. You could wait 20 minutes. It's an interesting thing. That, 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 that yeah. But it, 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 uh, I think what it builds is a feeling that I'll miss out on something. I will have gotten a text and I won't know it. But who wants to do another one of the sentences? Yeah. Um, I'm always struck when I hear this with the line of, as a mother protects her child, her only child. Um, I never aspired to motherhood. Uh, I. I had no, absolutely no romantic vision of becoming a mother, but I did when I was 48. And uh, I've, I'm actually shocked about how much I can relate to that line that I would, that I love my child so much. I, it, that maternal instincts came up that I never knew I had. And, um, and even though she's 18 and sometimes I don't, I wonder why I did it. I still, <laughs> when I hear that line, I still can dig deep into that feeling of protecting your child, your only child. So, and so, in addition to loving her, I feel grateful for having had that experience, so that I can relate to that depth of unconditional love that you would lay down your life for somebody mm -hmm. for it that I never would have known, known had I not become a mother. Okay, that's one thing. The second thing is, being uh, having grown up a Catholic and being still active in the Catholic Church, I have um, had to endure the fact that God is always a man and the fact that men are attributed to uh, capacities of overwhelming capacities, uh, superhuman capacities that apparently women don't have. And when I hear that analogy of as much as I can identify with mother and child, I wonder how men feel or when it, they hear this and their parents and they have children. Do not fathers feel that kind of uh, protection and uh, depth of unconditional love also. Mm -hmm. And so you asked, would you change something in that? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how to, you know, I struggle with the non-sexist language and universal stuff mm -hmm. and even, so I still think about that, but I am very grateful for having this, the experience of of parenthood that I went into kicking and screaming, but uh, obviously has, which has allowed me to understand the depths of love. Thank you very much, by the way, for sharing that story, because it's atypical in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, probably when you heard that story, you thought about all kinds of things. So I've always thought about changing it 
the possibility of changing the sutta in our times, uh, just as a parent would give their life, you know, that would assume a father as much as a child. Uh, you know, the provenance of this sutta is from a time when men and women had different roles in the family. But, you know, we might say just as a parent. Uh, then I thought, well, you know, maybe biologically, um, uh, if the child is a child of uh, 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 of a biological mother that's bonded with it, I don't know if there's anything different. I don't know whether My it matters. My adopted. Your daughter's so, adopted. But uh, not I... Biological. Not biological. I heard a story yesterday, by the way, that uh, of from two women who uh, 20-some years ago went to some country. I won't even name the country because I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to declare who these women are. Anyway, two women went to a certain country to pick up a child. They'd been looking to adopt a child. Two women who are together for more than 30 years, they decided they're having a child. And uh, they got the word, come to the country, and a uh, country far away, and they went. And when they got there, they said, well, it's going to be two weeks. And it's okay, they're going to wait along with other parents in the two weeks. And in fact, uh, they were given the child to live with for those two weeks in the hotel with other parents, prospective parents, and their child, uh, children, waiting for the exit papers. <coughs> and they said, it was the best time in our life, and it was also the worst. I said, what was the worst? He said, well, as soon as we got there, there were problems, and the country said, we're about to close the adoptions, and maybe these children won't go. So that uh, there they are. And they're with their child, and they're caring for it. And then maybe not only will they not get out with the child, but the child won't be get outable. Mm. And I said, uh, "How long?" I, I said, "You know, I didn't seem surprised by it." I said, "How long did it take you to feel bonded with that child?" They said, "One minute." You know, you, they give you a child, and there you are. You know, they said, "No way, we're, we're going to leave that country without that child." So. They did, uh, and I think we do, you know. That, uh, so it's, it's it, don't you think that? I, I hate to be a contrarian, but I remember many, many years ago, young, married, and um, maybe, I don't know whether I had children yet or not. I don't, no, no, I didn't, I didn't. But we had a couple who were friends, um, of ours, uh, the two men had been friends for many years, uh, and they had a baby. And when I went to see them, and I had been working with children in my work, mm -hmm. so I and uh, I said to her, so I said to her, so how is it going? And she said. I'm still waiting for the maternal instinct to kick in. <laughs> and I often thought of that and yeah. wondered, are there people who never get it? I think so. I think there's just yes. heard a lot of yeses around. So I'm yeah. just saying it's not. Maybe it's given. not. It's not a given. Hmm. But I think it can also happen for people who don't have children. Huh? The converse is true that you can have a maternal instinct without having children. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
or for some people it takes some time. So maybe we go back to the idea that this is a poem and it's talking about a particular idea that when it says, just as a mother would give her life to protect her one and only child, it's maybe not saying this is the way every female adult. Uh, maybe, it, maybe it's actually saying for many people, as soon as they come in contact with something that needs to be cared for, and they care for it themselves, the bond of caring kicks in, and they won't let it go. And I, I don't want to—I don't want to in any way belittle this whole thing, but if you go into, um, actually, I avoid going into the uh, uh, the uh, uh, adoption center at the uh, Humane Society because you have to walk by all these cages of animals who are all saying to me, take me home. And it's very difficult to get in there on some other business and not take one home with you. You know, that, that, that's, uh, If you have that particular gene, I, I think I do, and I'm happy to have it. Because then, you know, it, it's got a, it's a, it's a, somebody said here in this very class some years ago, when we were talking about this business of just as a mother would give her life, there was a woman who was pregnant through, and we saw her week after week, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then one week she wasn't here anymore. And then three or four months later, she came back uh, with her baby, and we we had a little naming ceremony. It was lovely when she came, and she said uh, she's very, certainly very happy to have that child. Uh, but she said, you know, I really didn't get it. She said when I was pregnant. Everybody said, congratulations, congratulations, great for you, happy news. She said, what I didn't really get is that once you have this baby, you have mortgaged your heart for the rest of your life. That, uh, and I, I thought to myself, you don't really know it. Uh, and uh-oh. It's a really, it's a, it's a thing to think about. So maybe if we were really rewriting it into modern English, not metaphor, just as some parents would be prepared to sacrifice their lives on behalf of their child. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's, that's pretty open. Some parents would be prepared to sacrifice their life on behalf of their child. Just so should all beings. Maybe it doesn't even have to be sacrificed. Devote themselves wholeheartedly. Sacrifice is a little... Maybe it doesn't even have to be for a child. Maybe there are people who also are willing to give their lives for a beloved, for a friend, even a stranger. Well, I, uh, so now we're really talking about events. We're talking about the, uh, another important kind of a... So here's the, here's the image that comes in my mind. 20 years ago, at least, maybe more, um, I, uh, a plane took off from Washington National Airport and crashed uh, just after the takeoff on, uh, right into the river, into the Potomac, right next to a bridge. That uh, and many people, many people didn't survive. That crashed in, and people were floating in the water, and it was winter. It was very cold, and uh, because CNN was already doing, he could watch the live event unfolding. There were people who rode across the bridge and rode across the bridge. And there were people who stopped the car in mid-bridge and got out, took their shoes off, and leaped into the water and to save people, and some people who drowned. Mm -hmm. 
leaped in to save other people. Huh? I just said, oh, wow. Yeah, because it was cold. I guess something went wrong, and they themselves swallowed water. And I remember thinking about it a lot. I think people are different. I read that, I, we, we read a little bit back about the man who, uh, I don't know, maybe this is too long dwelling on these macabre things, but there was, uh, on a subway station in New York, a, a, a train was hurtling into the station and a lot of people were on the platform and a man had a, an epileptic seizure and stumbled over and fell into the tracks as the train is hurtling into the station. And a man who was there with his two young sons leaped into the track, pushed him down on the track, bed lay on top of him. Train could not stop. It came screeching in to the station, and it stopped. And then a voice comes up and says, we're all right. Just uh, be sure to look after my sons who are there. And, you know, the, they, they extricated both people. And he was, you know, a celebrity in New York. But he said, you know, I didn't think about it. I just did it. You know, and I thought about it then. I thought, you know, I would have been horrified, but I wouldn't have dreamt in the track bed. Some people have different, people have different neurology. And I don't know whether, you know, that I, I hope that that doesn't become a, a source of lament, like if I were really a good person, I'd jump in the track. I think it's different neurology, like uh, if I think if you're Yitzhak Perlman or Yo-Yo Ma, you have different genes, you know, that I don't have to lament that I didn't practice so much that I don't play like them. That everybody has different qualities, and some people have tremendous nerves and tremendous courage. Okay, three more. I, I have in mind, because I need to leave today at 10 of 11, so I'm watch the clock with me. Yeah. Um, there's many good things in here, but I, I like the, I think there's this minimum. Do not despise anyone. Do not despise anyone. That's a good minimum. That's a good minimum. Yeah. Yeah, do not despise anybody. You know what I think about when I think about that? It's a, it's a strong word, despise. I wonder, what, I wonder what the poly word is, but I think it's meant to be strong because if you think about is there anything that I despise, the word despise brings up in my mind a kind of clenching of the mind. Ugh, you know, really, it's not just I dislike it. But it's so unpleasant when you think about despising. The feeling of despising is terrible. So I, I think that what that means, don't despise, is not only that it's not nice to despise anybody for any reason. They're in that reason for a reason of all kinds of karma and who knows what. But just in general, keep your mind good. Keep your mind in a good attitude means, if so facto, don't despise, period. That's not a good attitude to have in the mind. So as a very bad minimum, yeah. I, I feel like that's a tough one because a lot of times if you come into some toxicity with someone else, it activates an unhealthy part of yourself. Yeah. So that's always kind of a difficult dynamic in a person when things become contagious and all of a sudden you are heading down a path that's not that's darkening yourself. So I feel like, in a way, that's... Can you give an example of that? Oh, gosh. Um, oh, my God, there's a lot of examples. Uh, you know, I can just think with family members. You know, I have one brother who's married to a gal who is, is very competitive. And so 
when certain when she makes certain comments, it's hard not to get activated by it. And so I don't know if that resonates with anybody else, but I really know. Oh yeah, bite the bait. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Uh, uh, there's something that uh, uh, it's hard not to go for the bait. I think bait is a good word. I think sometimes about uh, the way that fish get caught, that uh, a fish is uh, swimming along, minding its business. And here comes a lure fluttering. And depending on if it's an attractive enough lure, the, the fish grabs onto it, and then it's got a hook in it, and it's stuck. And I think about the things that go by, like people are having a little discussion, gossiping about somebody. And it's titillating gossip, you know? And you think, oh, I could just get in this discussion now. It's like a lure, be a little fun. Who would know, you know, perk up the day. <laughs> But it leaves a bad taste, because I'd know, you know. Uh, so that's a lure that can go by. Uh, traffic. Traffic is a very easy lure, because you, can, because you get tense. I think what happens, for me at least, is I become tense, because uh, if, if there's a lot of traffic, not always, but if there's a lot of traffic, and I am late for a dental appointment that I've had for six weeks to go to the special dentist, that's going to look at this special problem, and it was hard to get an appointment. The traffic is so you get tense in your muscles because you're a little alarmed, and then the story spins out ahead. I'll get there late. They'll cancel my appointment. I'll never be able to get another appointment. My teeth problem will get worse and worse. Who knows? My face will fall off. You know that, that you can really, you because the 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 mind get I sh and it's my fault. I should have gotten left. I should have left before the time it was to leave to get there on time. And inst instead, and being seduced by annoyance because you could just sit there and seethe. Or you could think to yourself, I often do that. I try because I, I get caught in that. But if I stop and I say to myself, I don't stop the car. I say to myself, you know, all these people around me, I am in their great debt at this point because so far in this terrible traffic, nobody has ridden into me or suddenly put on their brakes and caused me to have an accident or cut me off in some way that caused me to have an accident. All of these people are responsible for my staying alive. So good for them. I'm very, may they thrive. And then you relax. May all beings be well and get to their place on time. And, and I'll get to the dentist sometime. Uh, maybe I'll get there so late, they won't do it again. They won't do the procedure, or maybe they will. Uh, because mostly they do. Because it ha being late happens to people. I'm hoping it doesn't happen to me today. So... <laughs> So, um, adios. I'm going to go. I, I think I'm very happy with what we did with this Metta Sutta for these couple of weeks. I enjoyed it all together, not because I think we wrote a better sutta, but we thought about it. One of the things that I want to think about a lot are, uh, maybe we'll come back to it sooner than I think, but when we take anything like the ethics, all the precepts, I undertake the vow to abstain from harming loving, living beings. What might that mean, really? I mean, it's, it's all very well to say it, but what does that mean? 
or to take the vow to abstain from taking that which is not freely given. And the ways that, anyway, I think any of the things that, I think we could take a half a dozen pieces of liturgy, like the, the, the um, precepts or the metta sutta, Maybe just for, so far that's two pieces of liturgy, okay. Take very few things and talk about them over and over and over again because it's all the same. Um, I meant to tell you that um, I had, oh, I was going to tell you about uh, uh, unburdened by duties and humble in their, and frugal in their ways. We missed that line. Um, but I think that nobody's, I, nobody doesn't have any duties. Monks have duties. True. Because I, I, <laughs> I think that the, that the point of that line, because I think about it all the time, because we have many duties and getting, I have to get to my meeting on time, that unburdened by duties I, doesn't, I don't think means not having duties. I think it means not being burdened by them, which is just a, you know, it's a different attitude. You know, there are the duties, but... Um, a duty can also be a mission. Hmm? A duty can also be a mission. Yeah. And, and therefore you don't feel, you feel privileged to have it. Yeah. It's a great privilege to have you here. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you, Thank you very much. Come back whenever you're here. Thanks. You won't, are we going to be here next week? But I won't be here next yeah. week. Donald will be here next yeah. week in my place. You could come in here, Donald. May all our voices join with Sylvia's. Oh. Thank you for coming and sharing with us so openly and also with happiness for all of your accomplishments. Oh, thank you, Robin. <laughs> really, you do us an honor and a service by showing up. I'm so grateful to you. You know, that, that I always think about the monk that the Buddha saw as the fourth of his sights. You know, seeing monks is good for you. Seeing you is good for me.